fulfillment of God's plan, his purposes. God's at work in this world. And we are a people that need that encouragement. We may have the light of Christ in us, but we live in a world that, that, that is covered in darkness. And we need this encouragement to know that this is not something we celebrate in the past, but it's a, it's a promise fulfilled that gives us hope in the present. That should encourage us that, that God is at work right now. I, I don't know if uh, any of you would remember this game from growing up. It's called Hide and Seek. Right? Younger people are probably not as familiar with it because they're more familiar with games like Pokemon Go and, and, and going to trampoline parks and things like that. But, but back in the day where we had to make our own fun, hide-and-seek was, was what was it. It was, it was a cool game, right? It was fun. It was a blast. In fact, uh, last night, I was, my kids were hanging out after the, the concert, and uh, they said they were playing hide-and-seek, but I kind of doubted that because they were all sitting on the couch outside the fireplace. I'm thinking, I don't know if we have the same game in mind when you say hide-and-seek. We, always, we, we remember the game, right? It was that, that one person was it, and they would cover their eyes, and they would start to count. They would, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then they'd get to ten, and they'd say something that would, would excite everyone who's in the game, right? They'd shout out, ready or not, here I come, right? That moment where you where you know, okay, it's on, they're coming. Hopefully my spot's good enough, right? Ready or not, here I come. Well, last week when we looked at the beginning of our Bibles in Genesis chapter 3, and we looked at the story of the birth of sin, we also saw the, the seed of hope. That moment where God began to count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And in the birth of Christ, we have this moment where God says, ready or not, here I come. He's coming. He's got a plan. He's going to find us. He is going to seek us out. See, God's plan to redeem us back from sin is, is not like, like, like a bird sits on an egg to keep it warm. He, he's not guarding this, waiting for that moment for that egg to hatch. He's out there seeking the world. He's seeking to save the lost, right? Jesus would say this in the New Testament. He'd say that he has not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He's, not, he's come to seek and to save the lost, right? But if we, if we know something about the Son, theologically, of the Trinity, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the Son, that, person, that second person in the Trinity, says and does what the Father, that first person in the Trinity, says and does. And so when Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save the lost, he's really just saying what the Father has already said. Ezekiel, a prophet, records it for us back in chapter 34. He says, God says through Ezekiel, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God's saying, ready or not, here I come, right? My plan's unfolding. My, my, my promise will be fulfilled. It's coming whether you're ready or not. And so in the narrative of Jesus' birth, Zechariah was someone who should have been ready. Right? We're going to look at the life of, uh, of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And he's someone who, who, even as you read about him in the Bible, you think, yeah, this man's got to be ready. He's got to have it together. He's married to Elizabeth, who's the cousin of Mary. And, and our Bibles describe them as being very righteous people, upright and just in all the commandments before God, walking blamelessly before him. And, and yet, 
as we'll find out, when it mattered most for Zechariah, uh, he wasn't ready. He wasn't, he wasn't ready because he wrestled with and was afflicted with doubt. This morning, we're going we're gonna to start, start at the end of Zechariah's story. I'm going to give you kind of a, a chance to see how, how it works out for Zechariah. So that when we, when we go back to the beginning and understand how he got there, we can, kind of, we, can, we can kind of be encouraged to know that this is not going to end poorly for him, but we know that it actually all works out okay if we just ride through to the end of the story. So if you will, turn to Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to read two different passages in Luke chapter 1. I'll read them together for us because I want us to get a glimpse of, of what's going on in Zechariah's life. There's this moment where Zechariah uh, uh, is given these words from the angel Gabriel. And he says this in verse 20 of Luke chapter 1. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And then if we're going to skip down, I want us to skip down to verse 57 in chapter 1. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her, and on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the, the hand of the Lord was with him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word this morning. Your word which uh, gives us clarity, gives us understanding to uh, not just your promises, but your plan and how you are faithful to fulfill it. How you've used certain people, and specifically Zechariah. Lord, I pray this morning that you would uh, illuminate our minds to the truth of what it means to believe. The truth of what it means to follow Jesus. To, to believe uh, as you call your followers to believe. Lord, I pray that we would understand more the beauty and the majesty of the birth of Christ through, uh, this, uh, through your word in Luke chapter 1. Guide us through it by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I mentioned, we're only reading part of Zechariah's story right now. So if I may, let me, let me back up a little bit and give us a little bit of background, which I think will help us to understand the, the passage a little bit more fully. As I mentioned, Zechariah and his wife were obedient to God's word. They were righteous. They were, they, they were walking in, in obedience to God. And yet, uh, Elizabeth is recorded as having no kids. She was considered barren. And, and in those days, that was a, a very difficult thing for a, a woman in their culture to carry, to, to bear. To, 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 to not have the 
aspect of her identity fulfilled where she was bearing a child. And so uh, to remain faithful in that was, was I think, a pretty incredible thing, to, to remain steadfast and faithful to God even when she did not, uh, her life did not look like her neighbor's lives and, and others within the, the people of God. But, but yet they remain faithful and obedient. And this is a good thing because Zechariah was, uh, was a member of, uh, of the family of, of tribes of, of people that were meant to be priests and Levites in the temple. They were the ones who kind of oversaw the practices within the temple, the upkeep of the temple, the care for the temple. And so we're told that he's given a job to serve, uh, to, to, to serve for a period of time in the temple here. Now, the interesting thing, to understand is that, that in those days, uh, actually one of the, a Jewish historian, Josephus, recorded he estimated about 18,000 priests during the time of Zechariah. And so you can imagine there's nowhere near that many jobs for the temple. There's a lot of jobs that had to be cared for and attended to in the temple, but, but 18,000 was too many. And so when it came to determining who got which job, they would cast lots. You know, this is kind of like a, a family um, having, you know, hats with chores in it, and, and each child in the family had to pull out one of the chores to be assigned their, their responsibility. For, for, for Zechariah, the lots were cast, and he was given this very specific task of going into the temple to light incense. Now, incense has a, its purpose in worship, but one, one uh, commentator I, I read mentioned that, that it, it was valuable in the morning and the evening to help kind of cover the smell of burning flesh from the sacrifices that were done there. And so you can imagine this was an important task in, in the, the practice of the temple uh, for, for the, the people of God. And so what he would do is he would go into the space in the temple just outside the Holy of Holies, not actually into the Holy of Holies, but just outside. He would be by himself, right? And, and, and the people of God would wait outside praying, praying. As you know, you'd read in Simeon's uh, story later on, they're praying for God to come again, to reveal himself, to speak again into the people of Israel, to, to do a work of saving them, to, to, to cry out to God, to, look, to, to say, God, speak again. We desire to hear from you, right? So while, while, while Zechariah is in there burning incense and, and, and worshiping in the temple, the people of God are just outside uh, praying and, and, and seeking the Lord. Now, he spent that time doing that and the, the importance of this task of, of even the people praying because at this point it's understood that it's been about 400 years since the people of God have heard from God. So it's been 400 years since God has revealed himself, spoken to his people through a prophet, through, through someone uh, on their behalf, right? If you look back, uh, you, you would read that in the last book of our Old Testament, Malachi, we, we, um, or if you're Italian, Malachi, um, you'd read of how God has, has spoken there. And then there's this period of silence between then and when, when, when God begins to speak through Gabriel to Zechariah, specifically through the life of John. Now, what the angel says is very important because not only does the angel tell Zechariah that, hey, God has heard your prayer, he, has, he will give you a son, and he will bring you joy, right? But he says your son's going to have a very specific task. Your son will be a son that will do this. We'll look at verse 16 in chapter 1. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John is given, Zechariah's son is given a very specific task, right? We, we looked at John's story a few weeks ago where, where he was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. In Malachi, there's some very similar, if not the same words, that God speaks through the prophet, where, where he says that he will send a prophet in, in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way, to, to, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, right? Now, what I think is going on here is that, it, that, that these 400 years later, there, there's this promise that's being moved closer to fulfillment. Ready or not, here I come. God's plan is unfolding. He's getting closer and closer. And, and what God's promising is a forerunner to the Savior, right? Someone who would prepare the hearts of the, of the people. He, he would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Now, any dad in this room would kind of think, that's, that's funny. I mean, you don't have to turn my heart to my children. I mean, they, they may be difficult from time to time, but I love them. My heart's toward them. Like, that's not a hard thing to do. Of course dads are for their children. But see, I don't think we're dealing with a generation of dads who don't care about their, their children. Rather, I, I think we're dealing with a generation of God's people who have turned their lives away from faithfulness to God. And so what, what we're talking about here is more so the forefathers of the, the, the fathers of the faith, uh, of them turning their hearts back to their children, to, to no longer being ashamed of the people of God, but being proud of what the people of God are doing and how they're living their lives in faithfulness to God. Now, I'm not going to illustrate it for us, but I think we could all think of a time in our own lives. I can certainly think of a time in my life where my actions were kind of embarrassing to my parents. They, they probably were not proud of me. Again, if you want an illustration, maybe come see me in coffee hour. But, but I think that it's not hard for us to think about ways that we maybe uh, make, we sin, right? I, I'd say we make a mistake, but that feels too gentle sometimes, right? When, when, we, when we seem to, to uh, offend our, our family, our, our lineage, that we've done something that, that wouldn't, wasn't really in agreement with who they are or what they taught us or raised us to be, right? I think it's true for the people of, of Israel. One of those moments uh, when Israel was, was an embarrassment is, is recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 29. Look at this. Uh, we're, we're told this. Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob... Jacob shall no more be ashamed. No more shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. Right? It's looking back at the, the fathers of, uh, of Jacob, Abraham, right? And saying, hey, he's not going to be ashamed of, of, of Israel anymore. Why? Because now they're going to sanctify the Lord's name. Now they're going to turn their hearts to the Lord and, and follow him. And sanctify his name, to, to glorify his name, to, 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 to represent the, 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 na the name of the Lord, right? Jacob would no longer be embarrassed about his descendants. The hearts of the father would turn toward the children. Why? Because the hearts of the children are turned to the Lord. The, the Lord is, has, is preparing the hearts of the people to receive this message through Jesus Christ. 
Right? John the Baptist when, was the voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He was preaching a, a baptism of forgiveness, a, a baptism of, of repentance, that, that people would turn from their wicked ways, turn from their life of sin, and turn back to God. He was preparing their hearts to, to turn back to the Lord so that, that the, fathers would, uh, their heart, the hearts of the fathers would turn to their children. See, Zechariah's son would be a messenger who would call the people of God to repentance and to living their life toward God. That's what Gabriel was saying to Zechariah when he was ministering just outside of the Holy of Holies was no small thing. It was no little message that he was given. This was a monumental moment. God was going to break his silence after 400 years and not just break it with some news update but to begin to speak God's plan which has been unfolding since the very beginning of our Bibles, the very beginning of creation. God's saying, ready or not, here I come, right? But Zechariah wasn't ready. When what Gabriel was telling him was a little too difficult for him to believe. He struggled with doubt here, right? Look at verse 18 of chapter 1. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. My wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Get it? Listen listen here, Zechariah. I'm Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. He told me to say this. How do you not believe this right now? And I I was sent to to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Zechariah's like, okay, Gabriel, I get it. I get it, but, but, but what's my sign? How are you going to prove to me that what you're saying is true? Like Gabriel, or Zechariah is looking on an earthly plane saying, I'm old. My, my wife is old. How, how is this going to happen? This doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't make sense to my, my earthly mind, right? My, 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 my mind that's so focused on what's in front of me. Apparently, an angel standing in your presence Doing God's bidding is not enough of a sign for you, right? You've got to ask for more. And, and you know what? I, we kind of say that flippantly, but to be honest, I, I might say the same thing as Zechariah. Just give me a little bit more confirmation that what you're promising is true, right? I just want a little bit more encouragement to keep trusting you when, when, this, when this isn't going to make sense to my neighbors around me. See, apparently hearing from God after 400 years is not enough of a sign. Because Zechariah... Zechariah did not believe God's word through Gabriel. And because he does not believe God's word through Gabriel, the next nine months of his life are spent in silence. He couldn't speak. He couldn't hear. Silence. Can you imagine what that's like? I, I can't. I mean, sometimes you're like, wow, that sounds blissful. But, but other times you're like, nine months of that? What is that like? Not only do they have to make signs to him to tell them what they're saying, later on in the passage we're told he has to make signs to them to tell them what he's saying. Right there, It's this back and forth of signs that that they have to make. And and you just wonder, a lot of silence. Silence until God's words were fulfilled in their time on the day that John was to be circumcised and he was given his name, the name that Gabriel, the name that God had told Gabriel to give to Zechariah to name his son. And just like that, Zechariah could speak again. 
We're told in in verse 64 of Luke chapter 1, And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Over over nine months of silence, nine months of silence in which Zechariah could not speak, could not hear, his heart had been moved from, from doubt to belief, right? And, and, and not just belief, but belief that resulted in obedience to God and an obedience that led to worship. Because when Zechariah spoke, he spoke blessing God. See, just as Zechariah was no longer silent, so God would no longer be silent, right? Zechariah wanted a sign, God gave him a sign. You're going to be silent for nine months until John is born, until he is circumcised, until you do what I tell you to do and name him John, and then you will be allowed to speak. You will break your silence and proclaim blessing to God. And just as you break your silence, I am about to break my silence. And the things that I speak will be the fulfillment of the promises that I've made long ago. So Zechariah moves from unbelief to belief, from belief to obedience, and from obedience to worship. See, I think there's a lot that we can learn from Zechariah's journey of faith here in Luke chapter 1. It's important for us to consider that, that as we walk through Advent, as we, as we consider what it means to wait upon the coming of the Lord, as we, as we think about what it means to wait eagerly, to, to build anticipation, to build excitement, looking at Zechariah's life and considering what does it look like to believe can be a very helpful thing for us in Advent. So I think the first thing I'd want us to consider is that unbelief leaves us in the dark, apart from God's presence and apart from God's promise. Zechariah was without his voice and without his hearing for nine months because he didn't believe. He wasn't deaf and dumb because, because of God's plan. It wasn't like God said, okay, I'm going to make you deaf and dumb for these nine months because I want to show you something. He was deaf and dumb because he didn't believe, right? It was his own disbelief that caused these things to happen. Look at verse 64 again from Luke chapter 1. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessing God. Immediately. Immediately after what? Immediately after he named his son John, immediately after he declared his name is John, does Zechariah have the ability to speak, to praise God, to glorify him? Now, it wasn't immediately after John was born. It wasn't right after John was circumcised. It was immediately after Zechariah did what God commanded him to do. See, when we join with God's plan and and join with his promise, God requires our faith, our trust in him, to trust that, that, hey, I'm going to make this promise. You trust me, you come along with me, you'll see it fulfilled. Partaking in God's promise and plan is exclusive to those who will put their faith in him. Now, we live in a day and age that values inclusivity. We live in a day and age that, that finds offense in exclusivity. And I get it. No one likes being left out. No one likes feeling like they are less than someone else, right? There, there's a sense of almost feeling like you're, you're attacking someone's humanity when, when you define a relationship as being over another. 
But the reality is that, that God is saying, if you want to partake in my promise, if you want to partake in my plan, then that's exclusive to those who have put their faith in Jesus. Now, there are some who believe in an idea called universalism. It's this theological idea that any and all people will ultimately be saved and will, will be reunited to God's presence, regardless of what you believe, right? We, we don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe Scripture is clear that, that, that Christianity is exclusive because Jesus has defined it that way, right? Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. In, in other words, unless you believe in Jesus and his work on the cross, you will live in silence and separation from God just as Zechariah did for nine months. Right? I mean, you may be able to hear words and sounds. You may be able to, to, be able to speak and respond to things. But in, in regards to your relationship with God, it will be silence and solitude. Separation from God. From the promises he's made in the Bible. If the promises in the Bible sound good to you, then you need to consider, you need to, to think about the fact that, that, that God is inviting you to, to partake in those promises by putting your faith in Christ. See, Christianity is exclusive, but I don't think we can stop there because I think Christianity is also inclusive, right? I, I think in John chapter 3, we, we're told of, of God's inclusivity. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him, right? Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes is a statement of inclusivity. All you have to do is believe in Christ, right? It's not rating your humanity. It's not evaluating the quality of your life or what you... It's saying if you believe in Jesus Christ, believe as the Bible teaches us to believe, if you believe in him, you will be saved. Whoever believes. That's an inclusive statement, right? Now, there is a life that follows that inclusivity or that, that statement of inclusivity. It's to follow the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity is inclusive, but it's inclusive on God's terms, not our own, right? Zechariah's journey toward faith teaches us that, that our disbelief is what separates us from God's promises and from, from his presence. It's not his plan to separate us. It's not his purpose to, 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 to separate us. It's his plan to reunite us with him. And it's our disbelief that keeps us separate from God's plan and his promises. The second thing I want us to consider then in, in Zechariah's story is this. Our faithful obedience, our faithful obedience to God's commandments, to his word, is a vehicle for sharing our faith. Look at verse 65 and 66 of Luke chapter 1. And fear came on all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. See, Zechariah's neighbors didn't get why he would name his son John. Uh, the scriptures tell us that, that they're, they're not really sure why he would name his son John, because John's not a family name. I mean, John was a, a, not an uncommon name then, but, 
but it wasn't part of Zechariah's family, and so it didn't make sense to them. God had asked Zechariah to do something that didn't make sense to to his neighbors, to, to those around him, to the people that he lived near. And yet, he was called to be faithful and steadfast to God's commandment. And so when he was obedient and faithful to God, while on God's timing, his faith became a testimony to God's faithfulness, to God's promises, to God's plan. See, it, it, was, it was obvious to Zechariah's neighbors that the Lord's hand was on John. And as you see John's life unfold, you see that he has a reputation for being someone special, someone unique. And, and though they don't know necessarily what that uniqueness fully means, they recognize that there is something special going on in John's life because the Lord's hand is on him. And we see that through Zechariah's faithfulness to God, to name his son John. God was no longer going to be silent, but was going to be speaking through John's life. Now, please understand this. God is still speaking. He's speaking through his son Jesus, who is alive through the Holy Spirit in you as a believer. And so as we live our lives of faithfulness, being obedient to the the Holy Spirit, doing as Paul said, keeping in step with the Spirit within us, as we live our lives of obedience to God, well, I think the, the people around us, though it may not make sense to them, may recognize that there's something unique about our lives. They may not use this language, but they might realize in their hearts that the Lord's hand is on you because you have God with you, right? Your faithfulness becomes a vehicle through which the testimony of God through Jesus Christ can be known. The last thing I want us to observe from Zechariah's life this morning is this. In faith, in faith, we wait on God's timing for God's plan. God is faithful to, to fulfill his promises in his timing, right? Not ours. Now, I, I'm, I'm saying that from one who has to wait on God's timing even when I think I've got a better timing for him, right? But God is faithful to fulfill his promises in his time when he deems that it's perfect. Throughout the scriptures, we, we see the words used like, in the fullness of time. You, you even see that in, in our passage uh, in talking about the birth of both John the Baptist and, and with Jesus. But 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 here we learn that God is faithful to fulfill his promises in his timing, and, and not ours. See, I think this is a hard thing for us to consider in, in the days of Google and Amazon Prime and, and, and other video streaming services, right? We can find out what we want to figure out at, at the, the uh, strike of a few keys, right? We can pretty much buy any item you want online and see it show up at your front doorstep within two days. And in some places, you can actually get it delivered same day, which is incredible to me, Right? I mean, apart from driving out to the store and picking up same day, that's not so incredible. But anyway, you can, you can binge watch shows, right? I mean, shows that we used to sit through commercials, right? And, and then you'd have to wait another week and, until the next episode. Do we, we, I mean, we all remember that, right? But, but my kids are growing up thinking they can watch an entire season of a show, if I would let them, which I don't, uh, in, in one sitting, 
right? They're confused by commercials. Why can't we fast forward this one, right? We live in a day and age where we want what we want, and we want it now. We've got our own timing for things. But I think what, what, what Luke signals his readers to is the significance of God's timing, right? In our passage, Luke records certain language that, that draws our attention to the fact that the, the timing, God's timing, is, what's, is what is most important to us, right? He uses words like immediately, waiting, delay, time of service, when the time came. There's this idea that time is pretty important right now. And all these words set the environment for Luke to, re, to remind his readers that it's God's timing that is most important, that God will fulfill his promises when God deems it's the time, right? Gabriel told Zechariah in, in verse 20, Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. God's words fulfilled in their time, not ours, right? Basically, God's words, his words are fulfilled in his timing because it's his plan, right? He, he determined what is best for his children. He's determined the right path and when that path would unfold. And because it's his plan, we, we trust that it's a good plan, God's word through Gabriel were fulfilled, right? They were fulfilled at just the right time. When, 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 they, when uh, Zechariah's voice was returned to him, immediately after, he was obedient to God and named his son John. See, I think we need to understand that God's word is effective. God's word is fruitful. It, it fulfills what God has, has deemed them to fulfill in his timing. We're told in Isaiah 55, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes forth out from my mouth. Oh, sorry. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is effective, right? We talk about God's word being living and active. If you've ever read through a passage that you've read before and for some reason it's striking you, it's challenging you, it's encouraging you, it's, it's, it's kind of leading you down a path where you are going to live out more faithfulness to God's word, God's word transforms us. right? When, when we read the word in script, uh, the scripture in, in, our, in worship, we're not just taking a time out from singing. We're holding up the word of God because we know that that word is the very thing that will be fulfilled because God has deemed it so, right? God's word is, is, is fruitful. It's effective. And it's fulfilled in his timing, not our own. And so when you look at Zechariah's life, you understand that, that Zechariah is given the opportunity to come along with God, to trust in his purpose, to trust in his plan, to fulfill what, what God has deemed important. God has said, ready or not, here I come. You going to come along with me? Or are you going to keep hiding? But if we trust in his word, 
if we trust in his timing, if we don't disbelieve but embrace the cross, embrace what Jesus has done, embrace faith in him, even though it may not make sense to us, even though it may not make sense to our neighbors around us, then we can trust that it will be fulfilled in his timing. One, two, three, ready or not, here I come. That's what God's saying. See, we're living in the last days. I think Jesus has finished counting. He's declared, ready or not, here I come. Right? God said, I'm going to speak in these last days. He, the author of Hebrews says, in these last days, I will speak through my son Jesus. He has done so. God has spoken as he sent his son Jesus to be born in a manger, to live a life, to serve God's purposes, to say and do whatever the Father does, to be obedient to the Father, to even be obedient to die on the cross, to, 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 to satisfy the wrath of God, to turn the wrath of God away from us, and to clothe us in righteousness. Do we believe that? God, God has sent his son Jesus, and now he's coming to complete, to fulfill, to, to fully bring in the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. They, the, the people of, of, of our Bible, they were waiting upon Jesus' first coming, his first advent. We are a people who are waiting on Jesus' second advent, and he's coming. And so we have to ask the question, are we ready? Will, will we be a people who are living in obedience by faith, or, or, or will we be a people who are afflicted with doubts? The author of Hebrews tells us this as well. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an, une- an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Instead, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Listen, we, we are called to do more than, than come here on Sunday morning and hear the word of God, proclaim it, and to worship God through his word. Do you hear those words? We want to encourage one another. We want to exhort one another. As long as it's called today. You know, it's funny. It's almost like, like the author of Hebrews has, has a sense of humor there, Right? Because there's never any day that's not called today. You wake up, it's today, right? We should be encouraging one another to walk in faithfulness and obedience to God so that none of us can say, oh, not ready, hang on, hang on, give me a little bit more time, Jesus. I, I, I haven't quite found my hiding spot yet, right? We can exhort and encourage one another. Sunday morning, yes, but there's other opportunities we have these things called phones. We could call one another throughout the week. We can, we can pray over the phone. It may be awkward because you're not sitting face to face, but I do it all the time. It's totally fine. We have different ways we can help one another grow. We can love one another, serve one another, grow together, so that when that day comes that Jesus returns, none of us can say, I'm not ready yet. See, God's calling us to live in obedience to his word, a, a word that will be fulfilled in his timing. And until then, we wait eagerly, right? We, we wait eagerly as long as it's called today. God calls us to obedience, 
And when we believe his plan, when we're obedient to his plan, he works through us, not just in us, but he works through us to expand his kingdom's reach. Think about this for a moment. Your faithfulness to God and your obedience to him could forever change the landscape of eternity. Because of your obedience to God's word, there will be people in heaven who are there because they saw the graciousness of God in you through Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. It's not just about if you're able to to teach someone the scriptures, a very important thing, mind you. But it's also to say, is Christ's character being formed in me in such a way that when people look at my life, they see the good news of Jesus Christ. And they too are drawn to that good news of Jesus alive in me. And not me, but, but to Jesus Christ himself. Trinity Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're called to obedience And that obedience flows out of our trust that God's going to do what he has said he will do. Do we trust it? If so, let's respond in obedience, trusting that God will fulfill his word in his timing. You know, I think that that's one thing for me to talk about and proclaim from up here. But I get it. I think there are times where God calls us to be obedient to him even when it doesn't make sense to the people around us. And and he does that not just in my life, but in all of our lives. So I want to give us a chance. I want to give us an opportunity to hear from uh, four people about how God has been working in their life. How God has called them to obedience, even when it didn't necessarily make sense to the people around them. Let's take a look at their testimonies now. just accepting Christ in general. Coming, even coming to church, people are like, you know. I think everyone has had that moment where they've had to say no to a friend. Some guy asked me today, what are you doing today? I was at the gym and I said, well, I'm going to church. Oh, okay. <laughs> the number of times where I would be considered um, the party pooper, uh, you know, not fun person. I became a Christian between uh, my freshman and sophomore year of college. Uh, prior to that, I had been a pretty outspoken atheist. You know, when I'm at the gym, you know, I talk to everybody or whatever, and, uh, you know, people look at me because I'm covered in tattoos, and, you know, they probably think I'm a crazy maniac, which I was. So when I accepted Christ into my heart, uh, it made for some, some pretty colorful moments. It took four or five years. We went from place to place to place. So to me, I was going by, you know, stepping out in faith. Um, I would sneak away because I didn't quite want my dad to know that I was a Christian at that point. But 
but to hear somebody like me saying, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to church after, after I go to church. Yeah. You know, people are like, oh. One day he he pops in, he opens the door, and he said, "What are you reading?" And I think his language was was probably a little bit different. I I just had to trust and believe, and this is this really what God wanted me to do. Um, and I said, "I'm reading the Holy Bible." I just want to be obedient to my God, my Father God. Trust in him. And he goes, Jesus Christ. He said, Yeah, he's in there. <laughs> sort of relationship with your parents, with your with God, and that sort of thing where you're able to say, like, no, well, is something that I've worked on and I'm not perfect at, that I've been able to do. Thanks.